0: Amen. Aren't you glad that's something this morning that we don't just sing about, it's something you can know. Amen. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Every person here this morning, God's no respecter of persons. doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, where you've been. The Bible says that we can all taste and see that the Lord is good. And it doesn't say taste and see if you like it. Uh, taste and see that it's good. I, I usually tell my kids when I was in uh, teaching a Wednesday night class at my dad's church, it's kind of like chocolate, you know. It's not like taste and see if you like it. Chocolate is one of those things that you taste and see that it's good. I've never met a person uh, that said chocolate was bad, and if I did, I'd try to lead them to the Lord, amen, because evidently they have a spiritual problem in their life. But good to see you here this morning. Good to be home. Boy, it's been a great week. The Lord's blessed. Our ladies got back from ladies' conference yesterday. appreciate those who were able to go, heard good things about that, and appreciate my wife being willing to put that together, and uh, what most folks didn't know was our plane landed uh, Friday night around midnight, we got home around 2.30 on Saturday morning and she got up about 7.30, headed off to ladies conference and they had a wonderful time while they were there and I uh, heard all of our ladies got saved, amen, they've been needing to get saved and no, I'm picking, they came back encouraged and uh, what a blessing it was for them to go and fellowship with other ladies who love the Lord and uh, have some, some teaching time just for them uh, to encourage them and excited about what the Lord's going to do through that and our ladies play such an important part in our church, don't they? You know why they play such an important part in our church? Because they play such an important part in our homes. Uh, My my wife, well, she plays an important part in keeping our home structured and organized and doing what it needs to be doing and helps sometimes keep me where I need to be. And I'm thankful that she had the opportunity to go and get strengthened herself because I lean on her. And I told the ladies when they got back yesterday, got back on the bus, that I spent some time talking with other pastors that were down there while I was down there. Uh, And Lord willing, we're scheduled to host that conference in two years. So two years from this ladies' conference, which was this past weekend, we're going to get to host the Deep South Ladies' Conference here at our church. And looking forward to that. I know it'll be a blessing uh, to them. Let's take our Bibles out this morning and get right into this, if we could. And we're going to go back to the same place we were last week. Uh, last Sunday morning, we were in Romans 5. Last Sunday night, we were in Romans 5. And we're going to be back in Romans 5 again today. And when you get to Romans 5, if you would, let's go ahead and stand if we could. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming. Hope you feel welcome today. Hope our people have made you feel welcome. Uh, If you get a moment, please fill out that connection card there on the back of the seat. I take it to the bookstore. I have a free gift for you. I want to make sure that uh, we have a record of you coming. Romans chapter number 5. I'll be honest with you. I did not plan or intend on preaching three messages out of the same book. Not to mention the same verses, uh, but I was studying my Bible on the plane the other day, and I just finished a uh, an entertaining round of uh, elbow hockey. If you have flown lately, you realize you have three seats and two armrests. Uh, that means one person is going to be out of an armrest, and so you have to learn how to get position quickly. So you get to your seat, and when you get to that seat, if the other person hasn't sat down yet, go ahead and get them, all right? You get the elbows on there, and and then the other person comes and sits down, and and then the battle begins, you know? You move around in your seat, and you're trying to hold your position, and I lost to a lady that was sitting to my right, and so I pulled out my Bible, just began studying. I was hoping that maybe she saw me reading my Bible, that she may think that I was a good person and give me the armrest. She didn't give me the armrest, but got some good study time in on the plane. I always like to Say You're closer to the Lord up there, so it's a good time to read. And went back to Romans 5, the Lord began to show us what we're going to preach on today. And boy, what a blessing it was to me, and I pray it'll be a blessing to you today. Let's pick up where we did last week, verse number 1. The Bible says, Romans 5, 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And now watch these next few verses. The key text today is going to be out of verse 3, 4, and 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you. That we can keep going back to your word, even the same passages, and oh, how it is quick and it's living. And Lord, you speak to us through it and how you've spoken to me the last several days as we prayed about what to preach this morning. Now, Father, I pray that, Lord, what you've given me, you'll help me present in a way that's pleasing to you. I pray that, Father, your Holy Spirit would go ahead of us and work in hearts and speak to hearts in ways that I can't. Lord, help us now to do what only we can do, and that is to decide that we're going to be yielded this morning to whatever your will may be. If there's one here today who doesn't know the goodness of God and salvation, I pray that they'll come to know you today, that they'll taste and see the Lord is good. For those that are saved, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see how this truth, Lord, needs to be applied in our own lives, that our faith might become more real when we leave here than it was when we arrived. Bless, I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the last two times we've preached out of Romans 5, I feel like I've introduced a lot of the the book and talked a lot of the book, but as you study through the book of Romans, you'll find out it's one of, if not the most important book in the New Testament involving the life of a Christian and how we should live after we get saved. What's amazing as you study the book of Romans, it's kind of like someone said once the constitution of Christianity, that you can go there and you can find out a little bit about who we were before Christ. We can go and find out who we become once we get to know Christ and then find out how we become more like Christ after we're saved. As you read the book of Romans, you'll find out it's the longest epistle that Paul wrote. It's a, the longest letter that he wrote to the churches that were there, and it's not long because he rambled, okay? Uh, you're probably thinking, yeah, he was a pastor like you. Uh, he rambled a lot, and that's why the book of Romans is a long letter, because he rambled a lot. But I tell you, the apostle Paul has no fillers in here. Uh, did you ever have to write a paper with school, in school? I remember when I was in college, I had to write a 20-page paper on the book of Revelation, And uh, 20 pages, that's a lot of of writing to do. Uh, And uh, I'm a simple guy. I didn't have a whole lot to put down there. And so I learned how to use a thesaurus, right? And so that's how we make the paper grow. Young people, don't do that, okay? At school tomorrow, don't start putting in words that you don't know the meanings to. That's where you get in trouble with a thesaurus. And I would stretch that out. And so I probably had about five pages of content, but it was stretched out to be about 20 pages on the book of Revelation simply because I didn't want to put the work in. There's a lot of fillers in there, but can I tell you the book of Romans is not full of fillers. Everything that Paul wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and everything that he wrote was something the people at Rome needed, and as we read this today, you're going to find out it's something we need as well. You read the book of Romans, you'll find out it's kind of like a flashlight where God was shining a light into a pagan society. I told my Sunday school class this morning, the city of Rome and the society of Rome is not much different than the society we're living in today. You do some study, you'll find out that in Rome, idolatry reigned and rituals had been blended together with religion and truth was simply a matter of opinion. That, you know, you take a little bit of a ritual from this religion, uh, a little bit of opinion from what we think, you blend it together, and that's a lot of the religion in the day and age of the times of Rome. It was a lot of idolatry. You study it out, you'll find now that immorality was very open and rampant. Morality was really determined by desire. If you wanted to decide what was right or wrong, what was right or wrong was simply what you felt. Rome was a very depraved society. Idolatry was everywhere. Immorality was everywhere. And little did these people know, the Christians there at Rome, persecution was right around the corner. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Idolatry's everywhere. You're thinking, well, we are not as base as they are. We don't worship these little idols. But, oh, we worship things in the place of God all the time. You look at Rome and you see the great uh, coliseums that were made for sport that were there. And I couldn't help but think about it as our plane flew into Los Angeles early on Monday morning. We flew right over SoFi Stadium where the Rams play. And I got to thinking to myself, we're really no different. They had their stadiums and arenas and coliseums and we do today. And how much time do we spend devoted to the God of sport? Think about it. How often does that replace? As a matter of fact, when is the Super Bowl played, it's played on Sunday. Uh, One of the games that we played, they're going to be played on Sunday. It's one of the gods we have here in America. Even though we don't worship little statues of clay, we still have so many things that sit in the place of God. We live in an idolatrous society. The number one God, by the way, in America is self. How many times do we substitute what we want and what we like in the place of God. I was teaching on a a series this morning in our class called On Taboo Topics, topics that are kind of taboo to talk about. And we've been covering a lot of social issues. And this morning we covered abortion. And the number one reason in America for abortion is not because of incest or rape. The number one reason for abortion in America today is choice and convenience. That's a fact. It's an unwanted pregnancy that's going to inconvenience our life, our time, our money, our style, and so therefore we murder that child to the God of convenience, which is really just idolatry to the God of self. We're not that much different than Rome, and just like in the case of Rome, persecution is right around the corner. Four years before this was written, a young man, 16 years old by the name of Nero, would assume the role and reign over Rome. And just a few years after this book would be written, we'd have the great fire of Rome, and we know that ultimately the Christians would become the scapegoats for that. Great persecution was going to be coming to the church, and as you read the book of Romans, God was preparing them in advance for what was coming their way. The people of Rome needed it, and we need this today. And by the way, when we read the book of Romans, we find something wonderful that I want you to see. Today's not going to be a mean message, okay? Today's going to be a good one. Look at the end of verse number four. I want to encourage you with this today. The Bible says, "In patience, experience, and experience. What does the next word say? The Bible says, Hope. Hope. The people of Rome needed what Paul was writing because this was going to be their only hope. By the way, do you know that's God's purpose for everything that he tells us? I want you to think about that. Everything God says to us in his word Everything that God says to us through his spirit, he tells us what he tells us in order to bring about hope in our life. He said, well, sometimes he convicts me, and I don't like what it it feels like to be convicted. Neither do I, friend. But can I tell you the whole purpose of conviction is to give you hope? That's why he convicts you. Why? Because he wants you to repent so that you'll have hope. And as we read Romans chapter number five, we see that the God of hope is trying to give these people hope through his word. I'm glad that my God, by the way, is the God of hope, aren't you? Romans 15, 13, the Bible says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Look, if your God is my God, then you serve the God of hope. And he wants us to have hope, and he tells us in his word how we can have hope, but hope can only be had his way. Understand that. You're not going to do an end around, and you're not going to cheat God and get hope other than how God says you're going to have hope. God wants you to have it, but you're going to have it his way, and he outlines that for us right here in God's word. Watch with me if you will, and I'm going to get into the message. It's very simple today. Verse number one, the Bible says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by what? Faith. So verse 1 and 2, here's what we see. We see real faith. The Bible says we are justified by faith. Verse number 2, the Bible says we have access by faith. So there's real faith in verse 1 and 2. But then watch what we see in verse number 3. The Bible says and not only so, but we glory in what? Tribulations. Do you know what I call tribulations? Tribulations are real life, Right? Tribulations are real life. Have you been through a tribulation lately? Hey, that's real life. I'd love to tell you that after you find real faith, that life is going to be easy. But I hate to tell you, the truth is, you're going to have tribulations. Jesus said that. In this life, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. But watch what happens in verse 4. The Bible says, "In patience experience, and experience what? Hope. Hope. Now, here's what's amazing. Verse number three starts with tribulation, but it ends in hope. It starts with tribulation, but it ends in hope. Now stick with me here. So we see in verse number four, we have real hope. Verse number three, we have real life. Verse number one and two, we have real faith. Do you know where hope comes from? It's when real life runs into real faith. That's where hope comes from. And the reason I believe today that we as the people of God, we don't have much hope, it's because we're being confronted by real life, and yet we don't have real faith. Because once we have real faith, and real faith runs into real life, the result is real hope. And hope is what happens when real life meets real faith. And that's what we're going to preach about this morning, when real life meets real faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I experience real life every day. Don't you? You're gonna look. I hope your heart gets stirred by the Word of God today. I hope the Holy Spirit works in your heart and your life today. I hope you leave here encouraged. I hope you leave here excited. But I promise you, the real faith that you have right now is going to encounter a real life tomorrow. And yet we see in verse four we can have a real hope, but we've got to follow the pattern that God gives for us in these verses. So let's look at this subject this morning of when real faith. A real life meets real faith. So let's look at what happens. The Bible says, verse 1 and 2, we have that real faith. But then it goes on to give us the real life in the word tribulations. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Can I tell you, I don't like hard times. Hard times and tribulations in my life usually lead me personally in my own power to being hopeless. Can we agree with that? Hard times and tough days and real life leads us to a feeling of hopelessness. But notice what Paul says. Paul starts with tribulation in verse number 3 and ends with hope in verse number 4. Now, this is important to understand this morning. Paul is acknowledging that a redeemed life isn't shielded from real life. Isn't that the truth? Just because you're redeemed doesn't mean you're immune to real life. Just because you're saved and you have verse 1 and 2, that you're justified by faith and you have peace with God. Hey, thank God for the redeemed life. But the redeemed life doesn't make you immune to real life. There's going to be tribulations, and so Paul is acknowledging that tribulation is going to be part of our faith. Uh, That's the bad news, okay? I'm going to start with bad news, and we're going to work toward the good news, okay? We're going to end on a high note today. Number one, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the expense of faith. The expense of faith, that's tribulation. There's one thing that we need to understand this morning is that this life And living the life that God's called us to in this world is going to be expensive. Faith is not cheap. Faith is going to cost you. By the way, we read the word of God. We have the records of so many men and women of faith, and we find that their faith costs them. What did it cost them? It cost them tribulation. Now look, if you don't want to live for God, raise your kids right and build your home according to the will and word of God. If you don't feel like being faithful uh, and living by what thus saith the Lord, you might have less tribulation in this life. But if you choose to live according to the will and word of God in 2022, your faith is going to be expensive and what it's going to cost you is tribulation. The devil can't afford you to live out your faith and be obedient to the will and the word of God. This past week we were at a conference and we had the opportunity to hear from Joseph Kennedy. He was the Washington State high school football coach who was fired from his job because he prayed at the 50-yard line after every game. He decided after every game that he was going to go to the 50-yard line and pray on his own. He did not invite anyone to come with him. He just wanted to go to the middle of the field and pray and thank God for blessing whether they won or whether they lost. And so he did that after every game. After the game, several players began to ask the coach what he was doing. He told them he wanted to go out to the middle of the field and honor God for how God blessed them in that evening and kept them safe. And so the players decided they wanted to go and pray with him. And so pr- players started going and praying with him. Assistant coaches started going and praying with him. Sooner or later, the ACLU finds out. And they began pressing charges and threatening to bring lawsuits. And ultimately, the school, by the way, he had an exemplary record of conduct. The school fired him from his job. And now he's without a job simply because he prayed on the 50 yard line, acknowledging God in his life. Do you know what he was doing? He was paying the expense of faith. He was going through tribulation all because of who he was and what he said he believed. Understand this this morning, that in the Christian life, if you choose to live by what thus saith the Lord and to raise your children by what thus saith the Lord, your faith is going to be expensive. It's going to cost you. Now, listen to me. Don't run and hide this morning. Paul says, tribulation is all part of it. 1 Peter four twelve. The Bible says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The Bible says that when we go through these trials, it shouldn't be something that's foreign to us. Now, can I tell you why I think it's foreign to us? We've lived so comfortable for so long. God has blessed America. God has provided so much peace and liberty for us to practice our faith. And we've, we've kind of gotten comfortable and content in that. And now we're finding that all of a sudden that living by the will and word of God is not popular. And it's going to start costing us. And that's where I tell you the ranks are going to start getting thinned out. I'll promise you if it cost you to come to church, we probably would have half as many people in here this morning as we do. Why? Faith is expensive. Look at the life of Job. Do you know why Job suffered? You ever thought about that? Do you ever just think that God looked down at Job and says, That guy just gets on my nerves. I'm going to unleash Satan on him because, you know, he just bothers me with all of his camels and all of his property? No. Do you know why Job suffered? Job suffered for his faith. That's why he went through what he went through. It wasn't some random drive-by persecution in the life of Job. No, Job suffered because of who he was in his God. How do you know that? What did God say? He's perfect. He's upright. He fears me. He eschews evil. It was his faith. And Job loses his children. Job loses his property. Job loses all that he has except for his God, all because of his faith. I hate to tell you, I probably would have quit on God long before. Lose 10 children, lose all of your property, lose the confidence of your friends, lose the encouragement of your wife, and yet Job just stayed faithful to God. you know what Job was realizing? That faith is expensive. Faith is expensive. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know what Christ is telling his disciples before he leaves? Your faith is going to be expensive. See, so how do you know that? Well, if you go back and you read verse 2 of that chapter, chapter 16, the Bible says they shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. He was telling them your faith is going to cost you. Your faithfulness to my will and my way and my call upon your life, it's going to cost you. By the way, could I just throw this in right quick? You need to understand the difference in suffering for your faith and suffering for foolishness. Look, we can't eat Big Macs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 30 years and have clogged arteries and lay in the hospital and think we're suffering for our faith. No, you're not suffering for faith. You're suffering from foolishness, okay? We can't smoke all of our life and we get lung cancer and say, oh, I'm suffering from my faith. No, we're suffering from foolishness. You can't go rob a bank and sit in prison in the bank and say, oh, I'm suffering for foolishness. No, that's not persecution, that's prosecution, okay? You got it backwards. That's not suffering for our faith, but if you're living by your faith and walking in your faith, you can expect as a child of God to pay a high price for what you say that you believe. You say, what's the difference in suffering for faith and foolishness? Well, Psalms 53, one, the Bible says, A fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. When you suffer for foolishness, is when you ignored God and the decisions that you made. That's how we suffer in foolishness. But suffering in faith means we're living and walking in our faith, and now we are suffering persecution for it. First Peter three seventeen, the Bible says, For it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well doing than evil doing. Hey, if we're going to suffer, let's suffer for something that counts, amen? Hey, if we're going to go through persecution and trials and ridicule, let's go for for something that's going to count in all of eternity. That's why Job suffered. That's why Joseph suffered. That's why all the patriarchs we see in Hebrews chapter 11, that's why they suffered. Tribulation is simply the expense of our faith. Paul says, verse 3, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Can I tell you why Paul was able to endure persecution? Watch this word right here, verse three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. What's the next word? Knowing. Paul knew something. You see, if you know that God can use tribulations to bring about hope, it helps you to endure the persecution. It helps you to endure the tribulation when you know that God can use this to bring glory to him and to bring growth in our own life. Several years ago when I was in college, several years ago, I got this thing in the mail. It said, You have been selected to the who's who among colleges, students of colleges and universities. And boy, if that doesn't puff your ego, I don't know what would. I'm a who's who. What is that? I don't know. I've seen Dr. Seuss. Who's? I guess that's what it means. I'm one of the who's that live in Whoville. And you're the who's who. And I got this beautiful certificate, went home, told mom and dad. I'm in the who's who. What is that? I don't know. But I'm one of them. I'm in the who's who. They're so proud. And then I got this thing in the mail. He says, your name is going to be recorded in this book of the Who's Who for uh, 2001 and all of this. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, my name is going to be forever bound in this book of the Who's Who in the history of America. One day when they're flipping through the historical documents, my name is going to be listed there as one of the Who's Who of colleges and universities for 2001. And then I saw something at the very bottom of that paper. It said in order to get a copy of the book, it was like 200 bucks. Begin to realize all of a sudden, you know, to be part of that club is expensive. I had to figure out, could I afford to be a part of that club, you know? I think we got one of the books, it's probably at mom and dad's house somewhere, stowed away collecting dust. As often, by the way, is the case of a lot of our vanity, isn't it? It was expensive to be a part of that club. I was so excited to be a part of it, I didn't realize it was going to cost me. Do You know, that's what it is to be a Christian. What a wonderful group it is to be a part of. The redeemed, names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hey, how wonderful is that? To be able to know I'm part of that group, and if I die, I'm going to heaven, and nothing can take that away from me. Oh, what a wonderful group to be a part of. And when the trump of God sounds, we get to go be with him forever and leave this world behind. Man, I'm excited about that. But it's an expensive group to be a part of. Why? Because there's tribulation. Why? Because verse 1 talks about our faith. The Bible says there's going to be tribulation because of our faith. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, the Bible says for unto you, unto you, it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake. He suffered for me. Now watch this, I have the privilege of suffering for his sake. Do you know when the disciples were beaten and persecuted and imprisoned for the cause of Christ, they sang praises that they were counted worthy to suffer for the one who suffered for them? I mean, we go through trials and tribulations like, oh, I may lose my job. I'm not belittling that. But he lost his life. He lost his life for me. And I get to suffer persecution. We go knock on doors. My daughter told me this week out Soul Wedding, she says, we had, I had two people slam the door in my face. Isn't that wonderful? It's like, what? My dad's been out in California too long. He comes back weird. No, it's wonderful. Do you know why? Because we were counted worthy to suffer tribulation for the one who suffered the ultimate pain for us. Hey, what a privilege it is that we have to pay this expense of faith. This past week, I started reading again, The Trail of Blood. I encourage you, if there's one book you need to read after you get saved, read The Trail of Blood. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read about those Christians who paid the ultimate prices. The ultimate price is for their faith. It was an expense that came along with it. Abraham had to be surrendered for his faith. The Bible says he went out not knowing. Stephen had to be sacrificed for his faith. Paul says I would gladly spend and be spent for his faith. Can I tell you what? I believe in 2022 we've become so entitled. We are an entitled society, me included. I can tell you when my air conditioning goes from 70 to 69. That's sad. That's sad. That's just sad. I'm sitting on an airplane the other day, and, man, I'm trying to get that little, I mean, that little thing that blows air on you, is only about that big. I'm good grief, man. That's not going to cool me off. And thankfully, there was nobody sitting on my other side. I stole their vent and started blowing it on me too. So entitled. And we want things given to us. We want comfort brought to us. And I'm afraid that's entered our spiritual life to where we think we can have a faith that doesn't cost us anything. Hey, why did the people in Hebrews chapter 11 have to pay the price they did for our faith and I get off scot-free? Why should I not have to go through some persecution or some ridicule all in the name of the one who died for me? Hey, number one this morning, there's an expense to our faith. We ought to be more than willing to pay that. But then watch this. Let's get to the good parts. Number one, the expense to our faith. That's the bad news. But notice Paul reminds us of something in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory In tribulations also. And you say, well, Paul, boy, he sounds weird. He's glorying in tribulations also. Why? He says, knowing tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience what? Hope. Now, notice Paul shares the expense of faith at the beginning, and then he shows us what we're working toward at the end. At the end of verse 4, we're working toward hope. Now, this is vital. You understand this. This is important this morning. You need to get this. Paul is showing them that tribulation is part of the process that leads to hope. Do you see that? It starts with tribulation. What does it end with? It ends with hope. Tribulation actually helps bring about the second truth, number two this morning. Notice that is the expectation of faith. The expectation of faith. Can I tell you if suffering was the cost to live for God, it'd be worth it? But Paul says tribulation is just one of the stages and the early stages of hope. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, you're way smarter than I think you are. Wait a minute. Tribulation, the thing we don't like, it doesn't feel good, the things that hurt. Tribulations are actually part of the process that leads to hope. Could you just look at it with me? What does it say? Tribulation, worketh patience patience, experience, and experience hope. God shows us right there that tribulation is part of the process that leads to hope. Now, you got to get this this morning. Hope is the expectation of what we're looking for. Now, if this doesn't show you how magnificent our God is, I don't know what will. That God is so great, he uses the difficult places in my life for his divine purposes. Difficult places become divine purposes all within the will of God. Now, you think about that. How often do we run from difficult places? I don't like tribulation. I don't like getting picked on and ridiculed. Oh, I hate that. I mean, I hate it. It hurts my feelings when someone won't take a gospel track from me. Man, it hurts my feelings. I hate getting ridiculed. I hate getting persecuted. But my Bible tells me that what starts with tribulation can end in hope if I'll follow God's outline. And what does it say? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. What? What? Affliction is working for me? Yes, that's what it says. Look what it says in verse 3 Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, that God can take the tough places of my life and use them for His purposes in my life. Hey, it makes me not want to run from the bad times anymore. That God can work into that. Isn't that what Romans 8 talks about? All things work together for good. That my God can take the tough spots and use them for His glory and for my growth. What does that mean? It means sometimes there's blessings in the bruises. I read a quote earlier. I think it was by, by Spurgeon. And he was talking about some of the greatest men that we've ever known have earned their notoriety through distress. They've earned it through distress. How many of the heroes in the word of God, people you look to, think about who you look at as a hero in scripture this morning. Maybe it's David. Maybe it's Joseph. Maybe it's Daniel. Maybe it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who's your hero? Look back. Did you find distress? Yeah. What did God do? God took their tribulation, and through their tribulation, he produced what he said he would produce. He produced hope. Hope. 1 Peter 5.10, but the, great, the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that ye have suffered a while make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. The Bible says we're going to have to suffer a little bit sometimes. It's not always going to be easy. We're going to have to go through trials. We're going to have to go through trouble. Remember the disciples? They're sitting there rowing in the midst of the wind. The Bible says it was contrary to them. And Jesus walked right past them they been like, hey, what's up with that? You know, we're struggling over here, and we're rowing our boat, and he just walks right past them. You know, sometimes Christ is going to let you row a little bit. Sometimes you're going to get to a spot, and life's going to be hard, and the wind's going to be contrary to you, and God's letting you row. Why? He's going to use that tough spot you're going through to produce hope later in your life. But we've got to be willing to follow the pattern. He says, hey, tribulation's on the front end, but hope is on the back end. Notice, if you will, real faith is an expectant faith. We go through tribulation, we have faith knowing that it's going to yield what? Well, verse 4 says it's going to yield hope. By the way, that's why Hebrews 11.1 one says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You ever been going through a tough time? And you're thinking, okay, God, I believe what you said, that you can work all things together for good. But I just don't see how this is going to work out. A lot of times I don't see how it's going to work out. That's why it requires faith. It's the things that are not seen. God, I am not sure how you're going to take this mess that I've created in my life or this mess that I'm going through and you're going to use that for your glory? God, I just don't see it. He's like, I know. That's why it's called faith. Faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You can't see it, but you've got to have faith and trust that God's going to work through it because he says what starts with tribulation ends in what? Hope. When real life is confronted by real faith, can I tell you the outcome? It's real hope. Real hope. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we know this well, but I want you to think about this. When David went to face Goliath, boy, what a circumstance way bigger than he was, better trained than he was, stronger than he was. Yeah, David is going down there to face him. The Bible says he ran toward him. He's not afraid. As a matter of fact, he would go on to say this, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. He says, God's going to deliver you into my hand. Now, can I tell you, Goliath was real life. Look, He wasn't an apparition. It wasn't something David imagined. Goliath was really nine and a half feet tall. And David was really not that tall. And David was a ruddy youth, and he was a man of war from his youth. And David is staring down real life, watch this, with real faith. Because he says, this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. Look, David knew he couldn't do it. He's like, all right, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. But God, you're going to have to take it from here. And oh, did God take it from there. Do you know why David was so hopeful to run after Goliath? Because he had real faith that confronted real life. And when real faith confronts real life, it produces real hope. Do you know why? Because you're trusting in a real God. David wasn't wandering down there thinking, oh, I hope this little God in my pocket, this little idol I'm carrying around, I hope that works. For some of us, that's about what our God amounts to, is a rabbit's foot we keep in our pocket. But David's faith was real. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job going through all of his troubles said this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So Job in the midst, by the way, that's chapter 23, he had several chapters left to go. Nineteen more chapters of difficulty to go. And yet in the middle of it, he has hope. He says, look, I'm going to stand with God one day. When when worms my my flesh destroy, in my flesh I shall see God. That's hope. Where did he get that real hope from? It was when real faith met real life and produced a real hope in the life of Job. We could go on and on this morning. Stephen. Well, Stephen was arrested. People lied on him, going through a struggle, going through a tough time. The Bible says, in Acts chapter 6, I think it's verse 15, the Bible says those people that were persecuting him looked on his countenance, his face was that of an angel. That means, watch, his circumstances didn't change his countenance. I mean, these guys have brought you in on the carpet, they're roasting you, they're going to bite you physically in a minute, and they're going to stone you to death. And your countenance was still as an angel? Do you know why it was? Stephen had real faith. And when his real faith met his real life, it produced a real hope. See, say, how do you know that? Well, when you read, the Bible says that he asked God to forgive the people who were stoning them, and he looked up into heaven and he saw God. You see, that real hope came from a real faith that confronted his real life. Someone said this one, Hope is the expectation that something outside of ourselves or someone outside of ourselves is going to come to our rescue, and we will live happily ever after with them. I'll tell you, as a child of God, there is a someone, and he does come to the rescue. And thanks be to God, I'm going to live happily ever after with him. It's not down here, by the way. Don't get that in your head thinking everything's going to go well down here. No, Jesus made that simple. Everyone, the Bible says, ye shall have tribulation. You live the way God said you're going to live. You're going to have tribulation. That's the expense of your faith. But thanks be to God, there's an expectation of our faith, and that's the hope that we have in the God that we serve Now, here's the message. I'm going to give you the third thing. This is what I want to get to this morning. So it starts in verse 3 with what? Tribulation. It ends in verse 4 with what? Hope. You say problem. I have real life problems, but I have no real hope. Do you know what that tells me? Well, according to verse 3 and verse 4, something's missing. You skipped a step. All right? You can't just jump from the tribulation to the hope. There's some steps in between. What does it say? The Bible says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, what? Experience. Experience. You see, there's a step in the middle. You've got to get that step before you can get onto the hope." It's kind of like the other day I was making pancakes at our house. And, um, you know, sat down there and started mixing all this stuff together. Going to make Miley some pancakes and stirring it all up, started cooking it. And when those things came out of the pan, they were like these little rubber Frisbees. Now, I like them. I like crepes, you know, those thin ones. Just little, rubbery, small, thin. Just something was not right. My wife comes in there and I said, look, what is wrong with these things? She said, did you put any bacon powder in it? I said, well, of course not. I'm a man. I improvise. And that's what's the result of my improvision. She said, you need to put some bacon powder in there. So I still well, had a lot of that stuff there in the bowl. And so we got some out and we put it over in there and stirred it in there. I started cooking. They, that's how Cracker Barrel does it. That's why they're that thick. The, the pancakes at Cracker Barrel are like that thick. They must put a punch of that bacon powder in there. You see, I'd skipped a step, and you could tell it in the pancakes that I had skipped part of the recipe because it wasn't turning out right. Now, here's what we say. Look, I go through real-life tribulation, but I never have any real-life hope. Well, you must be skipping a step. Something's missing. What's missing? Well, the Bible says, watch close. We're going to get both of these, but I need to get this one first. Verse 4, the Bible says, in patience, experience. Now, please get this, this one. If you don't get any points but this one, get this one. Somewhere between the expense of our faith and the expectation of our faith is the third thing, and that's the experience of our faith, the experience of our faith. This is the most vital component in seeing hard times become hopeful times, the most vital component. The word experience means this, the skill or knowledge gained by actually doing a thing. The skill or knowledge by actually doing a thing. Now, this is important. It's like the difference in a real doctor and a doctor off of television, all right, if I go to the doctor and I have to have a surgery, I want a real doctor. I'm just being straight up with you, okay? I don't care how much cheaper the TV doctor is, I want a real doctor. Why? Because they have, what do we call it, they've practiced medicine. They've actually put it into practice. Hey, I'm going to trust that one because he knows we, that guy just plays one on TV. I don't care if he did stay at the Holiday in last night. doesn't matter to me. I want a real doctor operating on me who has practiced real medicine. Now, that's the difference in a real faith and a real fake. A real faith is one that has been practiced and one that you have experience with. A fake faith is one that you talk about and merely profess. And can I tell you why so many Christians today go through tribulation and have real life problems, but never have real life hope? It's because they've never had a real life experience with their faith. Their faith is a profession, but it is not a possession. You like talking about it, but you've never tried it. I want you to think about David when he did go to hit Goliath with that rock. He ran with hope. Why? Watch. He had prior experience with his faith. So what do you mean? Well, he told Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord, but I've got experience with my God already because he delivered me out of the hand of the lion and he delivered me out of the hand of the bear. And so he went with hope up against Goliath because he had experience in his faith. Is that why we don't have hope today? Is that why we don't have a real hope regardless of what we face? It's because our faith has never become an experience. So what is an experience? I'll read it for you again. The skill or knowledge gained by actually doing a thing. Experiencing your faith means you've become an active participant in what you profess. Here's our problem. I was talking to a pastor in California this week, talking about how uh, we live in the Bible Belt, and they were talking about how, how good it must be living in the Bible Belt. I said, no, it's not really. They says, why? It's because everybody's religious. We're born into religion. And everybody, no matter how you live your life and whether you've trusted Christ or not, you and God are like that. I said, I, I, I kind of wish we had some of your folks out here in California. They, they don't even know who David and Goliath was. They're blank slates. I'm like, how wonderful it would be to be able to build something without having to unbuild it first and tear down all the religion to finally get down to the root to help people understand that they're lost. And you look at the Bible belt that we live in. We profess a good game. But how often do you experience your faith? Do you know why you don't have any hope? You don't have any hope because you've never put your faith to the test. That's why you've never put it into practice. We talk about it, we sing about it, we post about it, but we've never experienced the things that we talk about, and that's why we run around like a mule stepped in our face without any hope because we haven't skipped, we've not skipped that step. We're trying to go from tribulation to hope. God says, no, you got to have some experience in there. What Spurgeon said was, many men owe their grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. It's important we understand this morning, you can't have the expectation of faith without having the experience of faith. You can't have the expectation of what God's going to do if at some point you don't put it into practice. I think that's what we're waiting on. We're sitting around waiting on God to do something, and God's waiting on us to do something. God says, I sent my son, he lived, he died, he rose again, all power's available, salvation's available, but at some point, you've got to decide you want to experience that. Do you know why people die and go to hell? By the way, when you go to hell, you're hopeless. Because you never experienced faith. You heard about it, you talked about it, but you never had a, an experience with God. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is when Elijah was taken to heaven. Oh Elisha, man, he's just kind of down and out. His master's gonna be taken to heaven and He's following behind, Elijah tries to get him to go home, and he says, no, he says, I'm going to stay with you. And they come to Jordan, and Elijah takes off his mantle, and he slaps the water with his mantle, and Jordan stands up, and they walk across on dry land. Elijah gets taken to heaven, and he says, before he goes, he says, can I give you something? He says, I'd like a double portion of your spirit. I want twice as much of God in my life as you had in yours. He says, if my mantle falls to you, that'll be the sign that you've got it. And sure enough, Elijah goes up, his mantle falls, and Elijah goes and picks it up. What did he do? He saw Elijah do it, but he says, you know what? I want to know it works for me. And he walked back over to Jordan, and he says, where be the God of Elijah? And he slapped it, and the water stood up on the left, and the water stood up on the right. You know what he had? He got his own experience. He said, hey, I saw what he did through you, but hey, if you're going to do twice as much through me, I need to start right here, right now, and experience faith for myself. I'll just bet you or wager you. That when Elisha walked through Jordan, he had a lot of hope of what God was going to do through him because he personally experienced his faith. That's why we have no hope. That's why we have no hope. That's why we walk around and the stock market scares us and government scares us and elections scare us, and we have no hope. Do you know why? You've never experienced your faith. You talk about it, you post about it, and all of that, but you've never taken it. What's the definition? Skill or knowledge gained by actually doing a thing When was the last time you said, okay, I'm going to put it to the test I'm going to experience it Oh, this morning, you ought to have your Elisha moment You ought to decide, I'm tired of talking about it all the time I'm going to put it to the test and see what God will do I remember the first time that I ever tithed after we got married Didn't make a lot of money after we got married But I remember tithing, that was a big check to write, you know Uh, Taking out of your check, that 10%, writing it, putting it in there. and I'm like, all right, we're going to find out. You know, for a while, I had wrote on mom and dad's coattails. I lived in their house, you know. I didn't make any money. And so, uh, you know, mom and dad would tithe, and God's blessings were on our house, and God took care of us. and so many of our needs that I can tell you spend a lot of time, that I'm not going to take this one telling you about. But, man, after we got married, I told my wife, you know, she she agreed as well. You know, we're going to tithe. We're going to pay. No matter what, we're going to pay our tithe. And, boy, we tested God. We tried our faith, and we found God to be faithful. And then it came time to give around missions conference. Oh, man, you, more money? You We give more money? All right, God, I'm just going to trust you. You want us to give this much? We just gave God that much. God took care of it in time in time. our church in Louisiana, we had our tithe, our offering, our building fund. Remember that? We bought nine acres of property, and we started giving a, a, a part of a tithe to that. And we never went without. God always provided. God was always faithful do you know what we did watch close we tried our faith we tried our faith i believe what america's lacking what our church is lacking is all of us deciding we're going to try our faith not talk about it now stick with me first peter 1 7 the bible said the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found in praise and honor and glory at the appearing of jesus christ Now, notice that term, the trying of our faith. Do you know what the trying of your faith is? This is real deep, okay? The trying of your faith is an opportunity to try your faith. You're going through a trial of trying time. There's a reason it's called a trying time. You're going through this difficult time. God says, try it. God allows trying times to become trying times. We're going through this tough time. We're going through this tribulation. We're sitting there thinking, good grief, God, get me out of here. It's like, try what I gave you. It's like being broken down on the side of the road and sitting there. I was just waiting for somebody to come help me change my tire. And all of a sudden, you look in the owner's manual and you realize, what? There's a spare tire in here. What? There's a jack in here. What? There's a tire iron in here. Yeah. You just got to try it. Hey, there were things put in place in your vehicle for moments just like that. And in your Christian life, hey, there's been things put in place for you for moments just like these. And the reason you're having tribulation without any hope is you're missing the experience of trying your faith. Oh, just try it. It works. Why? Because God said it does. God said it does. And the reason you're missing out on the hope that comes from the tribulation is because you're simply not willing to have an experience of your faith. Job chapter 23, verse 10, Job says, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When he hath tried me. You know what Job is saying? I'm going through tribulation right now, but I know this is a trying time. I'm going to depend on God. I'm going to trust God. And when he hath tried me, what did he say? I shall come forth. That's hope. That's hope. He says, I have hope what the future is going to be even in the middle of my trial. Why? Because I'm going to try and rely on my faith. This morning, the lost have no hope. you know why? They've never had an experience with God. And, oh, the tribulation is much worse than this temporal life. That tribulation is going to be eternal. And yet there was hope there, but you can't skip the experience. You've got to try it. You've got to put your faith and your trust in it. And here's what we're saying today. Well, and I'll close with this. I have tried that. Guilty. I've tried that. I know the Bible says about peace and hope and joy and love. I've tried all of that. So I guess God lied. Because, you know, if God said it and we tried it and it didn't work, either God was lying or we did it wrong. I'm going to say we did it wrong. Pancakes. If we can mess up pancakes, we can mess up our life. Amen? It's the same person behind the controls. So wait a minute. You you and I try it, but it doesn't work. What does it mean? Well, notice what was the, the last step in the middle. We have tribulation at the beginning. We have hope at the end. We have experience in the middle. But wait a minute. The Bible says there's that word we don't like to talk about, the word patience. Patience. Maybe you just didn't try it long enough. Maybe you didn't trust God long enough. That's number four. Notice the expansion of faith. The expansion of your faith. Don't come to church on Sunday morning with your life falling apart. Spend five minutes at an altar and expect to walk out of here and God's going to make everything rosy. You've got to have patience. Patience. Patience is that long dependence on what we say we believe about God. That I'm going to stay, I'm going to stand, I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe until God answers. What does the Bible tell us in Isaiah 40? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How long are you supposed to wait? Well, until you get your strength renewed. How bad do you want to be renewed? Well, good grief. I went to three services in one week, and God didn't pay my power bill. Seriously? Seriously? We're going to put God on the clock? Can I tell you? Knowing what God wants to provide is worth ever how long you have to wait for it. As a 15-year-old kid, I decided I was going to wait on my wife to say, wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. Man, 24 years old, you're like, all right, Lord, the clock's ticking, boy, after I met my wife, man, it sure was worth it. As long as God wanted me to wait. Maybe this morning the reason you can't go from tribulation to experience to hope is because you're not willing to be patient to wait on the hope and wait on God to work. Matthew Henry said this, The patient sufferers have the greatest experience of the divine consolations. The patient sufferers. Have the greatest experience of the divine consolations. This morning, God tells us in His Word yes, real life is out there, and you're going to face giants, you're going to face Red Seas, you're going to face Jordans. And it's going to trouble you and bring tribulation into your life. But just like He told Moses, He says, be still, stand still. Don't run from tribulation. Don't run from trouble. Why? That's the first step that's going to lead you to hope. And we know that there's an expectation at the end of what God wants to do. So in the meantime, God, I'm going to put my faith into practice. I'm going to experience it. I believe the problem in America today, in churches today, I believe the problem with our homes today is our faith is not real. Real life is confronting fake faith and producing no hope. But if real life ever encounters real faith, it'll produce real hope. So can I ask you this morning, how real is your faith? Maybe you're like the man in Mark chapter number nine, and he says, I believe, help thou my unbelief. God, I believe you can work in the life of my child, but I need you to help my unbelief. And you know what he was saying? Expand my faith. Help me to be patient to wait on you just a little bit longer. I know that it's tough. I know life is hard, and I know life is real, but I know faith is real, and I know your hope is real because I know you are real, and I'm just going to sit, and I'm going to wait and stay busy in the will of God until he works in my life. Oh, this morning, what if real life ran into your real faith? Well, I can tell you what happened. You'd have real hope, real hope. Are you willing to put your faith in practice? Why don't you start leaning on it? You're not going to break it. Lean on it. It's real. Lean on it. And you say, well, I've been leaning. Man, I've been praying for two years. does it matter. You be patient. Let God grow your faith. This morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you're the most hopeless person that's here. Because not only are you hopeless in this life, you're hopeless in the next one. But you don't have to leave here hopeless. You know why? You can experience God just like I did. Now, the day I knelt down on my knees and trusted God, Christ as my Savior, God became my Father. And oh, I left with hope that no matter what happens in this life, I know, as Job did, my Redeemer liveth. And I know I'm going to stand with Him. See, I have hope because I've trusted Christ. Why don't you trust Christ today? If you're here and you're saved today, hey, why don't you lean on your faith a little more? You just might find that real hope you're looking for. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.